Please turn with me in your Bible or your device to 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll be looking at the first 18 verses. We had a, we've been going through the life of Elijah, and we're going to transition to the life of Elisha this week. And then we stopped for Easter. We did two Easter sermons, and then last Sunday, Shane led us through the armor of God from Ephesians. So we're picking back up with this series, and I just want to remind you what has happened with Elijah. He went to Mount Carmel, remember, uh, defeated the prophets of Baal in a, in a profound way, and, and assuming Ahab and all of Israel was ready for that victory, uh, was discouraged when Jezebel sent him a death threat. And so he took off, and he was ready to just call it quits. And remember, God takes him to Mount Sinai, where he goes into a type of a cleft like Moses, and God is not in the fire, God is not in the wind, God is not in the earthquake, but he's in a whisper. And and God lovingly allows Elijah to know that his tiredness makes sense. We are tired. I think several of us have talked about that even just here, I know at home. Not the normal kind of tired. Yes, there can be loss of sleep, but just the amount of things we're dealing with in our lives right now, uh, which just make us exhausted, makes life difficult. And even though we're not going through what Elijah went through, I think it's helpful to understand we are in a season where uh, I think our spirits, our minds are overloaded, and maybe you're tired, and maybe you just sort of, had, like, like Elijah, sometimes want to say, I've had enough. Uh, this morning, we're going to see that God has a plan. God has a plan to carry forth his church to, and his redemption to fruition. So we will look at this passage. I want to give you just a few heads up so we can better read it together. Um, first of all, you're going to notice a repetition. There's Paragraph, the first paragraph is really repeated two more times. What we're going to find is Elijah and Elisha are walking. Elijah tries to convince Elisha to stay home or to stay back. Elisha insists on going. And then there are these people called the sons of the prophets that will emerge from each location. These are most likely prophets in training, uh, younger prophets. Um, they come to tell Elisha some news. And he tells them to be quiet. We see that three times. So we'll read that together. And then we're going to see Elijah taken to heaven. And I know I'm giving that away, but that's actually in the very first verse. And so I want you to be tracking along the, the understanding of this passage and understand it's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing passage, both in that what it means, but the challenge to get our mind around it. So let's pray. Let's read it together and pray that the Lord will open our minds to what he wants us to learn from this text. Starting in verse one. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. 
So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they both were standing by the Jordan, oh, I apologize, as they both were standing by the Jordan, verse 8, then Elijah took his cloak and he rolled it up and he struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty strong men, Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men. And for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? This is the word of the Lord. Did I hear you at home? Let's pray. Father, um, what a profound passage. We believe it's true. Help our unbelief. Help us to not only believe this is true, but the underlying principle that you are redeeming your people, that you have a plan to rescue us. Let us sink our hearts into that reality this morning. Amen. When you come to a passage like this, there's a lot of ways to process it. There's those that are just going to say it's just not real, it's not true, it's a fairy tale. Let's cast that aside because we don't believe that. But as believers in the Bible, we do come to this passage and it, it does raise some questions. Is it 
some would say, you know, it's sort of using fantastical language to get his point across. It's a genre issue. Well, the problem with that theory is there are indeed genres, such as prophetic literature, Daniel, Revelation, where certain imagery is intended to be sort of a metaphor and, and fantastical. But this is a historical work. And this writer wants you and wants me to believe and know this really happened. Now, so if we're in the, we're in the camp that says this really happened, but there, it's still that wrestling of like, but it's just so hard to believe. And that's exactly the point. It's a miracle. I mean, when you come to these places in the Bible, the entire idea is it's, cra- it, it, it's beyond belief. It's, it takes special faith to understand this. This didn't happen every day in Bible times. So what do we do with it? Well, on the other extreme, we don't want to just extrapolate it from the book of 2 Kings and just look at it by itself. We need to understand it in the entire picture of the entire Bible. God has a plan of salvation. He started in Genesis, and he carries all the way to Revelation. And we find in this passage, we are in the midst of what we, I would call sort of a, a passing on the baton. If you've ever ran track, which I did for like a week. Sorry, Mark. Uh, maybe I did all of seventh grade, but I wasn't very good. But I, I remember they were trying to train the handoff. And, and the handoff of the baton in a relay race is really hard. And when you're learning it, you feel really awkward and, and lots of problems can happen. And in the same way, whenever we read biblical history and we see these places where God is handing off the mantle from one person to the next, it's, it's a place of risk and the great, great um, problems can arise. And yet what we find if we read all of the Bible, especially this passage, God's plan of redemption always includes a successor. A successor. He's always plan, his plan always includes a handing off of a baton. So here's the question. Where are we in that? Do you understand that we are the church and that when Jesus has handed the baton to us. And so this morning, we're going to see from this story how Jesus is the real Elijah, the better Elijah. But who's the better Elisha? Which person in biblical history fits it the best? And we're going to unpack the fact that it's really the church. You and I, both individually and collectively, have received that baton. So are you ready for that? Are we up for that battle? Are we up for that round of the lap? because we're in it. So let's look deeper at how we might learn from this passage what we can do to be ready for that. Number one, we're going to look at what is the plan. Two, what is the power? And then finally, what is the process? So starting with the, what is the plan or the purpose of this, of this baton passing? What is the purpose that God has uh, for us? We know that... Um, this world is dark. This world is broken. Elijah, if you just read the stories of just his life, remember he came to be a prophet because Ahab had taken control of Israel in the north. And Ahab and his new wife Jezebel brought uh, all of the Baal worship to, to power. And that's what Elijah's purpose was. And so Elijah came and defeated the, the prophets at Baal but now it's time to hand off the baton to Elisha so that Elisha can continue to defeat the sin of Ahab and then successive regimes. 
And it's fascinating to see this, this conversation they're having. I love verse 11a. And it just, it says, and as they still went on and talked. I, I love that language. What that shows us is that throughout this journey that Elijah and Elisha are on, they're in a conversation. It reminds me a little bit of, of just how Jesus trained his own disciples. Uh, through ta- they would, as they would go places, he would be explaining things to them. I had a mentor who often would want to go run errands together uh, instead of just sitting down in an office. And it was in the midst of going places that maybe these conversations could be had. And so we know that Elijah and Elisha are in the midst of these conversations. But I want to draw out these places. It begins with Gilgal, okay? And if you look at your Old Testament in Joshua, Gilgal is the place from which they set out for the conquest. Now remember, Joshua is the successor of Moses. So it really is as if Elijah is letting Elisha know, like Joshua to Moses, you are the one that's going to take this kingdom or this prop, your, my, my ministry further. And so they start at Gilgal and they head toward Bethel. Now at Bethel, uh, Jacob wrestles the angel. And so again, through that trip to Bethel, there's, a, there's teaching, there's discussion, there's a his, redemptive historical timeline being laid out. And then they get to Jericho. And at Jericho, uh, I think Elisha would have easily known, this is where the conquest began, right? This is the first battle when the people of God with Joshua went into the promised land that God told the people, you will do nothing but obey me. I will win the battle. And he brought down the walls of Jericho. So we have Elisha in this story being discipled, being trained up, being taught how to live out of this, this um, reality. Uh, I, I put a quote on the front, and I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest. I loved the quote before I understood what it meant, but I want you to, if you have any kind of worship guide, it's one line. G.K. Chesterton, five times the church has gone to the dogs, and each time it was the dog that died. Does anyone in the room know what that's from? I didn't know. It's from a work of his called The, uh, the Everlasting Man. And in chapter 6, what he's saying is, in his estimation, there have been five major heresies like Arianism and he just, humanist skepticism, Darwinism. He names five dogs, if you will. That each time the prophecy of the world was the church is going to disappear. We now have something better. And at each time the church survived and it was that thing that really fell by the wayside often. And I think that's what you see in our passage. Baal is the prevailing worship, the God of worship. And Baal is the one who was known as the, the thunderer on the clouds, the one that rode into the weather. In fact, it's very interesting in our passage uh, in the Old Testament Death usually was discussed as going down, down to Sheol, down to where the fathers are. Remember uh, in 1 Samuel when Saul conjures up Samuel from up? You know, he brings him up. The witch of Endor brings Samuel up. And yet here we have Elijah going on this kind of thunderous fire whirlwind to heaven. And what you have with this succession with Elijah is I think Elijah convincing Elisha 
that Baal is done, that, that, that Baal worship has continued to be gone, and, and the church will survive. So it's a succession. I want to I draw your attention to just this imagery we have of that moment where Elijah goes up. Imagine you're with him, and I know it's confusing saying both of these names, and I'm very nervous that I'm going to do half of it wrong. So J is, is the older person, right? J comes earlier in the alphabet. The SH is the younger person, okay? We got that? Elijah, older, came first. Elisha, younger guy, came later, and they're having this discussion. And in chapter, or in verses 11 and 12, we see kind of this climax where uh, they're having this conversation. And then in verse 11, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up and a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cries out, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Just ecstasy. And, and it symbolizes something. It symbolizes that he did see it. Like, remember what, what Elijah said when he requested the double portion of the Spirit? Well, if you're able to see me when I go up, you're going to get it. But if you don't see me when I go up, you're not going to get it. And it reminds me of Paul, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians when he says, I knew a man caught up in the third heavens. And he's describing himself. And we know, of course, this, that this very passage probably represents the ascension of Jesus. And the, and the disciples, before Paul was one of the apostles, the disciples watched Jesus ascend. And there's something about the fact that they see this ascension of Jesus that lets them understand, and later Paul, when he sees it in a vision, the point of everything, the point of everything is this being caught up into heaven. So my question for all of us, as we look at point number one, is, is, is that your purpose? Are we longing for heaven? Or do you live in alternate universes? When I was little, littler, what, let's say 12, I loved the amazing Spider-Man. Anyone like amazing Spider-Man? Um, excellent uh, comic book. Um, and I love the art. But there was this other Spider-Man called the Spectacular Spider-Man. Now, these were completely different ones. Like, if you bought the Spectacular Spider-Man edition and read it, they don't have any overlap. And we, we've come to know what Marvel calls this, right? Alternate universe. And what you've, over time, you had Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man, you had Spectacular, and I don't know how many different ones there are. So if you've seen the newest Spider-Man movie, The End of the Spider-Verse, they're sort of rifting on that humor, like, all of, there's even like a pig version of him. And the point is this. It's very disheveling as a fan to be reading the spectacular Spider-Man when you thought you are reading the amazing Spider-Man, right? In this one, he's married. In this one, he's single. And in this one, he has a black costume. And in this one, he doesn't, right? What's the point? Christians, we do this. We live in alternate universes, right? Like we read passages like this, and we say we long for heaven. But when we wake up, if you track your first thoughts in the morning, I've got to make the coffee, I feel anxiety, another day of Zoom meetings, whatever's crossing your mind, we really live in a different universe, and they don't seem to overlap very well. 
And what I see happening in our passage is Elisha is given by faith the vision of Elijah's ascension, and it, and it changes him. And we are the church. We now live on the other side of Jesus' ascension. Has it changed us? Are we able to imagine heaven? Paul famously says, think about it, in light of what he saw, in light of what he has seen, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So for him, everything he did came directly into correlation with his longing to be with his heavenly father, the longing to be face to face with his savior. Is that our longing? When we see Elijah go up, do we long for that with him? I love it because I, I feel like it's really an answer to his prayer in chapter 19 of 1 Kings when he, he just sits down at the bush and the angel of the Lord is there and he's like, it's enough. Just take me. He's exhausted. Now, it's a long time later that that prayer is answered, but isn't that beautiful that the Lord hears our prayers and the Lord does long to take us home to be with him? Is that our longing? But like Paul and like Elisha, there's work to do here and now first. And that's where we go to point number two, the power of our, of our um, succession. For Elisha, he knew the purpose was to continue the work of Elijah, longing for himself to eventually be taken up as well, but he has work to do. Um, and what, he's, what does he do? He, he asks for the Spirit, and we see in verse 15 that after all of the events, the sons of the prophets, that's all these men that have gathered, and they were at Jericho, and they saw him crossing back over the Jordan, and they said, the Spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And so Elisha has the spirit of Elijah on him. Now, do you think that means like Elijah's spirit? Sorry, people that are in the audience. I'm calling on you at home. I can't see you nodding. No, it's not Elijah's spirit. It's the spirit of God on him. Elijah was carried forth in the Holy Spirit. And now Elisha has asked for a double measure of that spirit. And it is upon him. And it... And it the Spirit brings power to him. If you track the story, we didn't read it. Uh, there's some interesting things that happen next. But right after our, our text, verse 18, Elijah goes, Elisha, Elisha goes to Jericho where the water is poisonous. And the people are like, everything in our city is pretty good, but the water is poisonous and it's ruining our agriculture and he heals the poisonous water. That's his first act, right? As Elisha with the Spirit. And it really does remind us of the church. If you go to Acts, as soon as Jesus ascends and the Spirit comes on all the apostles and the disciples and the believers, and as the church grows, the church begins to do amazing things, like healing people. Remember, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray in Acts, and they heal the lame beggar. Like the church continues the work of Jesus. Jesus even says somewhere, when I go away, you will continue my work, and you'll be greater than me. 
And you think, how can anybody be greater than Jesus? And he doesn't mean there will be an individual person who's better than me, but it means the collective whole of the church in the power of the Spirit is going to revolutionize the world. The church has not gone to the dogs. The, The world desperately needs the church to radically change it and heal it. First Peter says these, these words about the church. He says, You have come to a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And then he talks about Jesus who is the cornerstone. And a cornerstone is the beginning stone of a building of which has many, many, many stones that come off of it. And he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what we have now in our being a successor of Jesus is we have his spirit on us as the church and we're going forward. And the reason I wanted to talk about that a little bit is I think in this Weird, weird time. We've all named it. This is really, guys, I'm standing in an empty room. And I'm not even talking to you live right now. I'm sort of hoping that some of you later will hit play and watch this. And if you've gotten this far into this sermon, it's a miracle. There are miracles. And yet the Spirit is present. The Spirit is working in our church. And, and not only the church universal but the particular church. And through each of our individual lives, he has given us his power to carry forth his work. In John 16, I'm just going to read three verses. Jesus says these verses to his disciples. Chapter 16 of John, verse 7. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper, the spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus saw his need to not only rise, of course he's risen from the, he rises from the dead, but to ascend into heaven so that his helper, his spirit could come on you and I to carry forth his mission. Is that our goal? Is that our desire? Do we have that power? I want to just draw out, before we go to the last point, an interesting thing from our text. We have these three paragraphs. And in each of these three paragraphs, we have Elijah and Elisha. Elijah's giving Elisha an out, sort of a test. Elisha says, no, I'm staying with you. Just as an aside, Jesus at the garden would have longed for his disciples to be as faithful as Elisha. But we are his disciples, and we are saying, we're with you. But then you have these annoying people that come out, these sons of the prophets that kind of pester Elisha. And they kind of come up to him and sort of whisper, hey, three times, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And they're so proud. They're like, I got this. I have some kind of prophecy and I'm going to go to Elisha and tell him something he doesn't know. And all three times he's like, keep quiet. I know. Right? Why do you think he's so irritated? Like, 
I would really love to, if you just meditate on that, why do you think he's so irritated? I'm going to take a liberty. Here's what I think. He doesn't like the way it's phrased. It's true that Elijah is going to go into heaven. It's true. They're correct. But listen to what they say. Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? It's almost like they're coming out to say, you're about to be free from this ball and chain. Like he's going to set you free that you get to go do your own thing. To which Elisha would say, I completely disagree. I love Elijah. I love his, his care for me. And I, I'm going to just jump to Romans 6 where the, the, the people Paul is writing to upon hearing of the freedom of the gospel would say, well, well then I would sin, right? Why wouldn't I sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, by no means. You are a slave to righteousness. Like we are hitched to a father that is good and his Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. That we have been adopted as sons and daughters. We are free. And I think Elisha is showing a freedom that these sons of the prophets have no idea what it means. They can't see what's going on. They can't understand it. And yet Elisha is free. And I think it's really telling that when, I don't know how this happens, but some sort of fiery chariot and fiery horses and Elijah is taken in a whirlwind and listen to the words of Elisha. He doesn't say, my master, my master. What does he say? My father, my father. The freedom of the gospel is that you aren't a slave, you are a son, you're a daughter. And in our union with Christ, through the presence of his spirit who pours all the blessings of Christ onto us, we are the successors individually and together. We are spiritual Israel. And we are at the forefront of human history. It matters more today that the church understands her calling than ever. With a pandemic, when all hell is literally breaking, breaking through, are you and I beginning with the truth of Scripture? Or are we just sort of living in an alternate universe where we sort of have the Bible universe on Sundays and occasional Bible studies, but then we have the, the pandemic universe where we process COVID-19 and whether we should wear a mask and whether we should post that on Facebook or are our universes coming together? Is Jesus ruling and reigning in our hearts in this time? Last point, it's 30 minutes in. So let me make it kind of quick. This is like dessert. You all hung on this long, you know? Um, the, the final point is the process. And I just want you, I'm, it really, it, it's sort of fascinating. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set it up this way. Before we get to the process, you have to ask, who am I in the story? Am I with the 50 or the sons of the prophets? Am I on the outside sort of aware of what's going on? You know, these people are kind of, I hate to say it, they're kind of annoying, you know, they, they think they're doing Elisha a favor. That, hey, let's go find your master. He went somewhere. We'll, go, we'll get 50 men. We'll go track him down. I think a lot of the church does that. We get caught up in silly things, silly debates and silly things to pay too much attention to. You know, that cloak of Elijah falls out of the air. It's a fascinating detail. If, the, if these people had got it first, they would have put it into a museum and worshipped it. 
Like they're looking for Elijah, not Jesus. And Elisha's like, he's gone. You're not going to find him. So one of our options is to be a pseudo member of the church where we come in and we hang out and we watch from a distance and we act like we know all the stuff, but we don't exhibit true faith. And the other option is to be like Elisha who does this. And here's the application. It's a one step application for this entire sermon. What do you want? Like I would ask you, what is it you want? What did Elisha say? A double portion of your spirit. That sounds stingy, but it's the opposite of stingy. When Solomon is asked, what do you want? He says, wisdom. I've read that and thought, I would like, have you ever thought, wouldn't you like wisdom like Solomon? And then you come to James and he says, you want wisdom, ask for it. It's yours. Did you know that the Bible teaches very clearly that to a person, you want to request the Holy Spirit, you will get the Holy Spirit. The problem isn't the lack of the gift of the Spirit. The problem is that most of us are afraid to ask. So Elijah, Elisha is showing a tremendous amount of faith and humility to say this, I can't do this on my own. I'm not as strong as you, Elijah. I don't know how you've done it. I need a double portion. I need less of me and more of the Spirit to carry on the mantle. Are you praying that prayer? That's your, that's your application. Simply ask for it. I want to close with a, with a parable or a story Jesus tells in Luke 11. And he just says this, which of you has a friend? I'm, going to, I'm just going to read it verbatim. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him. And you will answer, do not bother me. The door is not shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Basically, no one would say that, right? You would never say that to a friend. He says, I tell you though, you wouldn't get up and give them something because they're your friend. You would give up and give them something because of their impudence. That is the the gall to go bug you at midnight and ask you for bread is why you would give it to them. And then he transitions a little bit. Everyone who receives, who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give a serpent? Or if, you ask for, if your child asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Rhetorical question, of course, zero right? None of us would do that. If you then, Jesus continues, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? How much more will your heavenly Father give you whatever you seek, whatever you knock, ask? No. Sorry. I want you to hear the words of Jesus. How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him. The one point application to a 35 minute sermon is this, are we asking for the Holy Spirit? I don't mean to be converted. If you are not a Christian, please then of course ask that the Holy Spirit would come in for the very first time 
to open our eyes, to see, like Elisha, all of the truths of Scripture. But for those of us that are Christian, so often we live out of the flesh. We live out of our own energies. The Bible grows dim. The church seems distant and, and, and kind of cold and boring. And we get caught up into this alternate universe we call our daily existence. And the one application point is this. Go away from this time and ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for a double portion. That he would come upon you and open your eyes to see the truth of this universe that we live in. Tied to the universe to come. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you are the ultimate Elijah. That you not only came and ascended but you had to begin with a death. Having fulfilled the law perfectly, you died passively. Though you could have easily conquered your foes, you chose to obediently go to the cross, scorning its shame. And Lord, these men were hunting for three days for Elijah. In three days, your body was also missing from the tomb. You arose you discipled, you, you gave many more lessons, and now, Lord, you have ascended to the right hand of your Father, and you rule and reign with authority. But we praise you that you've sent your Spirit. You have not left us as orphans. You've sent your Spirit to us individually as Christians, but also corporately as a church body, that we might join in with the church Universal, the churches across Stillwater, the churches across our world, but also over time in carrying forth your mission. And Lord, help us understand that right now, today, we are the ones who have the baton. Teach us to ask for your spirit that we may run our race for your glory. Amen.